Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm joined as always by my co-host Tim Rzuski, Director of Records here at Pope and Young. And we've got Chris Crampy. We just Wrapped up our event in Texas at College Station, and at that event, two panels were held for two potential New World Records. Why should two special panels? Because now they are confirmed, and one of those is Mr. Chris Crampy with his world record Roosevelt's Elk in Velvet. Chris, man, congratulations, dude! From 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 myself, I know I can say it from Tim, from all of us at Pope and Young. Congratulations, dude! It's a beautiful, beautiful bull. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And um, I appreciate everything y'all do. And um, I was just lucky, I guess. Uh, I bow hunt a lot, but you know, you don't typically uh, go out every day thinking you're going to shoot a world record, especially when I, I mean, I hadn't really hunted Roosevelt before. So uh, for the first time hunting Roosevelt, it was, it was pretty special. Now, I know you went with an outfitter. Um, did the outfitter have any idea? I mean, was he like, dude, there's a giant bull in here? Or was this just a complete, like, I stumbled upon a giant? Okay, so uh, I wasn't even supposed to go on the hunt. The The outfitter was booked, and I had a friend that had gone with him before, and he said, hey, you you know, you need to try this one. It's another Tim. So when I say Tim, uh, we have so many Tims. Uh and you need to, tr- you, you ought to try him. Have you ever hunted Roosevelt before? I said, no, I, I haven't. I said, but I'd like to. He said, well, give him a call and maybe you could get on his list. So I called um, 
thinking I was going to get on his list. And of course, yeah, he was full. And I said, well, just put me down and, you know, let me know. And um, lo and behold, I don't know, a month or so went by and he calls back. He says, hey, a guy canceled. Do you want to want to come? And I hadn't booked anything, another elk trip for that year. Uh, just And usually I do have an elk trip, but I didn't have, I just didn't do it. And he said, hey, well, uh, he gave me two options. He said, you can go with the first of the year. Um, they, they, there's a good chance they'll be in velvet, but they won't be bugling. A lot of people like to do the, the whole bugling thing, I, and, and you can come later. I said, well, I mean, I just want to kill a good Roosevelt. He said, well, why don't you come the first week of August? I said, okay. Um, so that that's how it happened. I mean, I left Louisiana at the temperature was 104. I got there, it was 50. Oh. And it was I, was, I was, I felt like I walked into the Arctic. I was looking for my jackets and my, my hoodie and, and every, I mean, <laughs> so it was really, it was really, that was really, that made it really nice. Let now, me that say was this year, here, Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, yeah. don't let, don't, don't, don't let Chris fool you. He, he went with Tim Carpenter, who happens to have the world record himself in the hard horn category. Yeah. I think Tim might've known some big bulls around the property, but the key here, if anybody hasn't picked this up yet, is that this is a bull in velvet. Um, there are not very many places that you get to hunt Roosevelt's elk. There aren't very many places where you get to hunt Roosevelt's elk in velvet. And that opportunity alone, what a blessing that phone call was. Um, hunting with a great guy that's that's uh, established himself and, and well known for for Roosevelt's there in, in California, in Humboldt County. Um, yes. I'm I'm not shocked that we have a new world record in Roosevelt's velvet. I'm shocked that it's this size. <laughs> now, how big is the hardhorned world record? How big is Tim's hardhorned world record? 394. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And just the opportunity to get a to get to hunt them in velvet. Um, California has some pretty early seasons. Here in Oregon, um, my trail cameras tell me eight seventeen, August seventeenth, they shed. They they get the, they get rid of their velvet and they're ready to rock and roll starting the early estra cycle. Um, not too far after. Chris, you killed this bull early August, August fourth, I believe. Yes. So just to give you, an, you know, you're talking about them losing their their velvet on August the second. We got on a bull, a nice, a really nice bull, and. Um, we we got him at four. We had him at forty yards, but we had stepped out into the into the middle of this this logging road, and he ended up turning and walking straight to us. And then, of course, we couldn't get back out of the road. And he just looked at us for a while, and then he bounded off. And um, that same bull, on the, we saw him again on the fourth, and he was already all all the velvet was already all hanging down off of his off of his horns. So in a matter of two days, it was gone. So how many days? So this was the second day of the hunt, third day of the hunt that you that you shot the world record. The fourth day. Fourth day. Did you ever see him before that, or was it like, dude, that's a giant? No. Let's go kill no. him. No, no. It's a, it, it. So it was. It's it's a really interesting story. So, uh, and I got to be good friends with Tim and his family. Uh, super nice uh, guy. Um, the property he hunts. When you drive into the property, there's an old uh, compound. Uh, for the timber company where everybody used to, it was a uh, housing 
and they probably had, uh, I don't know, about eight houses. And then they had the main person's house. They had an old gate and they had a guard station. And it's just all overgrown with briars now and they don't even use the facility anymore. But out on the end of that facility, there's a big uh, drop off and it overlooks this huge marsh that goes right up to the property that Tim hunts. And he likes to go out there because all these elk, we'd see anywhere from nine to 20 something elk out in that marsh every day. And to kind of see if they were going back up onto Tim or whatever. So we would just go out and it was just beautiful anyway. So we would just go out there and Tim would always say, boy, I would love to kill an elk in this compound. He said it would be so awesome to, to, uh, uh, get one and take a picture with the houses in the background. And I don't know if I sent that picture to you, Tim, but uh, <laughs> I do have a picture where I shot my elk. Th that afternoon, we had drove in and he wanted to go glass in, in the marsh. We did that. We walked out. We got in his truck and we're, uh, we're driving up the mountain. And as soon as we get by the, the compound, a bear runs, was eating blackberries, runs out. It was in the guard station <laughs> that all the glass is broken and he's, and he takes off out of there. And then we go a little bit further and we both just look to our left and this huge bull is standing there. Now he knew that bull, but he didn't know that bull would be anywhere near that area. Um, and as it turns out, that bull the reason he was standing right there on the side of the road was there was an old hedgerow of rose bushes and uh, he was eating the rose bushes uh, from the from the compound that used to be there. And it was right across from the um, the foreman or the head guy. I don't know what, what they would have called him over there from his house. So in the picture, the guy's house is is behind the, uh, the elk in, in one of the photos. That's really cool. And you said that's been abandoned for years. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. I forgot. Like 20 years. Now, that's kind of cool. What? You find old structures out in the woods quite a lot, and you try to imagine whether it was homesteading or loggers or or like on this compound, compound right. what it looked like um, and how, how, the, how many elk were around then. Did they see very many, you know? Um, Roosevelt's elk many years ago was not well established it was very difficult to uh to find any let alone um um hunt them so kudos to california for for doing that yeah now at what point at what point did it set in and the guide say tim say dude this might be a new world record like well at what, at what point did you say we got something really special here you know tim, tim and i were cutting up a little bit and uh he <laughs> So that first bull that we went after, we, we, we kind of blew it. And, you know, he mentioned, he said, man, he said, that probably would have been a new world record. So, I, you know, I, I'm thinking he's just joking with me, right? So the next day, we got on this other bull, and he was a little bit bigger than the first one we, we stalked. And we got to 40 yards to him. We got stuck in the middle of a road again. We're down on our knees. And we thought we were going to get a shot at him. He stood up and there was one tree in the way. And then he, he turned and we didn't get a shot at him either. And he said, um, you know, Chris, that, would have, that probably would have been another world record. 
I said, Tim, you know, cut it with the world record stuff, okay? I know, I know we're joking, but he said, no, he said, and I and I didn't know I at the time I didn't know what the existing record was. Of course he does, because his hunter had shot it. He said, No, I'm serious. He said, Man, those are two really, really good bulls. So uh it was just kind of funny. Um, but we almost shot one our first our first two stalks. This one being our, our third one that we did. That's awesome, man. Sounds like I need to go hunt with Tim. Yeah. Uh, not Razuski. I think, yeah, I think everybody needs to go hunt with Tim. So um uh so that's just how it worked out. So Tim, what um what was the final score? The new final score after the special panel is 324 and two eights. Yeah. What is that? What is that past the the past world record by? Well, you have to put this into perspective. One, to kill Roosevelt and Velvet is so rare that there's only two in the Pope and Young record book. <laughs> and in California is really the only time an opportunity you get to, as he mentioned, Tim Carpenter had a client who had the, the previous one. And I believe that bull was in the 260 range. Two, so 247 and five eights. Yeah. So um significant, significantly larger. Jeez. Anybody he did it with a, did it with a gets an opportunity bow. as a at a Roosevelt Bull in velvet with their with their bow. Um, you're gonna be in the top five, <laughs> no matter so long as it qualifies. And that's that's really the the neat thing about this new velvet category. People are trying to pursue them, but some of them are just difficult by the nature of the hunting regulations and the limited accessibility to some species. Um, but this bull is if this bull had been hardhorned, many panels, many conventions, we have called Roosevelt out to panel hardhorned that were smaller than this many times. Yeah. This bull would have likely been called to panel if it were hardhorned. So it, it, this is not a small bull. This is a very, a very great, great Roosevelt. And it, it's a classic too. Has two beautiful crown points. That's exactly what I was going to um, say. Yeah, it, it's, it's exactly it's exactly what you want to see in a world record. Uh, like when you Google in, in world Roosevelt, record, just in general, yeah, yeah, like yeah, it, it it it's a picture perfect elk. But like, and I'm not going to name any names, but you know, some of the world records are just ugly. Like some of the world records just they're flat out ugly, and you're like, man, that's not what you want to see. But this bull is picture perfect. When you Google world record Roosevelt's, that's what you want to see. I can tell Dylan doesn't have any world records. <laughs> oh no. I don't. And Tim, from when they first scored it, if I'm not, if I'm correct, uh, there wasn't many deductions. No, no, this bull only has five inches of deductions. Um, remember in Roosevelt Elk, um, crown points, anything in the region of the G4 or higher that might be abnormal on another, like on American Elk, is considered a crown point. And these two crown points of yours come perfectly out of the webbing above the fourth. They look great. They're just classic. And then also on Roosevelt, there are no differences calculated on G5, G6, G7, any points after the G4. So any difference that may have been had in your G5, we don't do that in Thule and Roosevelt's elk. Um, this bull um, has a very classic inside spread of 38 and a half inches. Um, I've studied records for years and an average 300 class American elk 
is 38 inches inside spread. This one is 38 and a half. Um, we did find on the special panel um, that the original measure um, may have been nervous and a little conservative on a couple of the of the point lengths, and we found um, a little bit of difference, which was to the benefit of of your bull. But that's not the point of special panel. The the point is we want to verify that what he said was ground points, what he said were typical points were actually correct. And that in general, we anticipate that there will be some shrinkage, that if there is some, with our two teams of measures, if there is some difference from the original score sheet, that we really look at it and make sure that it's reasonable and expected. And, and in a couple cases, shrinkage doesn't grow, <laughs> right? So if an animal's antlers tend to shrink over 60 days, they certainly aren't going to get longer or, or bigger around and uh, in circumference. So um, I applaud measuring velvet is not easy. Sometimes it's not fun um, because you can't, you don't want to use tape. You need extra hands to hold your cables and stuff. And, and so being conservative on that, knowing that likely that this was going to be a world record, um, we did find a little bit of, um, discrepancy in a couple points to where the score went up a little bit. That's nice, but again, that is not the purpose of special panel to come up with a new score unless, in this case, we either has, have a resolve in, in uh, disagreement or we have stuff that is longer. Okay, two questions for you, Tim. Why is it that, what's the reasoning behind not having a non-typical Roosevelt's and Thule? And then second, has there never been an American elk non-typical velvet entered? Because we don't have a record for that. Question one. Um, <clears throat> I believe the reason that we measure, and of course, back in 1950 when they came up with this, there are some things, rules that the Boone and Crockett Records Committee decided then and None of the scoring techniques have changed other than one since the 50s, <clears throat> since 1950. But they chose likely to reward mass and symmetry like all their antlered game. And with Roosevelt Thule, reward crowning or these abnormal points that were very consistent in certain locations. And so for an abnormal point to show up on a Roosevelt or Thule elk, it has to be below the fourth. So an extra G3, extra G2, a fork off of one of those points, devil points, it's very rare because most abnormal points on elk are up in the upper ends. However, Pope and Young Club, Records Committee, I am working on completing, compiling the data from California, Oregon, Washington. And we have significant number of records in those three record books for a non-typical category that already exists in those books who also have permission to use the Boone and Crockett scoring system. Hoping Young is considering with looking at that data, if we want to um, establish two new categories, well, four, non-typical and non-typical velvet for both the Roosevelt and the Thule. And in doing that, they would have to determine, the records committee that I'm on would have to determine what the appropriate minimum for abnormal point length would be. Um, the reason that, and I would agree, the reason we don't have yet a non-typical American elk in velvet 
in the record books, because the minimums are such, you know, the non-typical category, and the minimum for abnormal points on American elk is 20 inches for Pope and Young. Um, that, that's a difficult feat. So um, where can you hunt elk in the United States that you can hunt in hunt them in early enough in velvet, maybe a special tag, or again, I just keep bringing that up, for example, because it's a state I know, has premium tags. One tag per unit. It's a random draw. It's a miracle if you draw one. But the hunts start August 1 for elk. So someone in Oregon could. A lot of times, or a few times, some of those people have taken them with rifle um, because that category, as you can imagine, is even more unexpected. Then, you, then you're talking about qualifying for the non-typical category and the minimum number of inches. So we will see one eventually, I imagine, one day. Um, but it, it, it will be a difficult task. If somebody really wants to challenge themselves to get something that nobody else has, um, find a place to hunt American elk and velvet and find a, a bull that has 20 inches of non-typical points. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So when's your next Roosevelt's elk hunt? Because, I mean, if, you, if you're killing world records first trip, you got to keep going back, right? Well, I told Tim, not, uh, Carpenter, I told him he kind of shot himself in the foot on this one because he's, he's going to have a hard time having a repeat customer if he, if he goes off and shoots a world record to start. Uh, uh, he is supposed to be getting some good blacktail ground. So I, I told him, well, Tim, get that and I'll, I'll come up. We'll come up and do that. Um, I, I want to do it again. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, as this, as Tim knows, um, the, just the area up there, the, um, uh, it's just so different from where, you know, from what I usually hunt. And uh, I'd like to go back just to do that and see, and you know, see that area again, really. Yeah. A lot of animals. We drove around a lot. And um, it's just beautiful. I, I, I'd love to do it again. Yes. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, what's what's next for you? What do you got? What's your next big hunt? I know you, you said you're about to head out and, and try to kill something. Um, so uh, we um, whitetail. Um, I, I we do a we do a nail guy hunt down in South Texas every year, uh, which I don't know if y'all have a category for that, but we, that would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice if we did because we've killed a lot of them. I've heard nail guy taste incredible, unbelievable. Even the bulls. Uh, I've never had a nail guy that did that didn't taste good, and uh, they're they're a lot of fun to hunt. I, I I really like hunting them just as much as I like hunting whitetail. I'll be honest with you. And you get to stalk them, uh, so you get to hunt them in a number of different ways. Um, the meat's fantastic. They're 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 like a turkey that can smell. <laughs> they're yeah. you can put all the scent lock and ozone and stuff on you want it. They're, they're gonna they're, they will if they get downwind of you, that's it. And if if they see you, they'll stare you down until you move. So it's it's a pretty challenging, fun hunt. So we we do that usually in uh, late January, which would actually be next year, but. Uh, uh, so, um, that's what we have coming up. That's now, awesome. Dylan, I got to tell you, when I was talking to Chris on the phone, I said, Hey, Chris, I noticed that this is your only entry in Pope and Young, but you do all this hunting. He, he coughed it up just like every other one of our guests. Oh, I'm lazy. I've got lots of stuff that should go in the book. And you know, that gets me hooked and, and, uh, we're, we're going to sick the, the, the the measures on him 
So, Tim, just so you know, look, I, I grabbed this off my desk a minute ago. It's been, Tim, you're not going to believe this. It's been sitting on my desk. I don't know if you can see it in there. What yep. the date of that is? That's in 2000. I had I had some deer scored, and uh, uh, I had a good friend that that was big into Pope and Young, and he he you know made sure we all joined, et cetera, et cetera, uh, back then. And uh, he, he used to rave about your organization. And uh, I measured a couple of deer and I had them officially scored. And I, don't, I don't know if I, I'll have to check, but I don't think I ever sent, <laughs> sent the sheet in. Uh, you know, back then I didn't have as much money as I had now. And it was, you know, $25 for an entry. <laughs> I think I just sat on them and they've been sitting on my desk ever since. But uh, well, thank you for waiting. The entry fee is now $40, and we are going to make sure you well, pay that. That was going to cost me more. I know. I know. <laughs> but but I, I can afford that now. But anyway, uh, so, uh, yes, I, ha I have a few more, and I should. you're, you're right. I should have done them. I think well, the other thing, the other thing that I'd, I'd mentioned to you, Chris, is that in our record book, you know, in the whitetail categories, I notice when something unique comes in by score, sure, or how it looks, but when something comes in from Mississippi, Alabama, or Louisiana, I notice because we don't get a lot of them. And if you've been hoarding Pope and Young records from, from that, that state, you're going to really pad the books and you're going to get a lot of attention if once we get these all measured. <laughs> uh, well, that might not be good, but um, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, I, I should, we, we should, I mean, everybody should really, uh, and I need to get my son to start doing it as well. Sure. So, um, he's, he's, uh, getting really excited about bow hunting. He shot some nice animals. So I, I want to get him in there as well. How old's your boy? He's 16. Um, and I'm sure, and I've heard y'all talk about it before about getting kids involved and the youth involved and, you know, at that, at the bow hunter bash, seeing all those kids in that at the um, the archery place shooting archery, and my wife doesn't hunt, and she would when we walked in and we saw all those parents and kids in there doing that shoot, she was impressed, and we went in there and watched the kids shoot. And uh, my son has a lot of friends that play sports and stuff, and they don't hunt. And I'll be like, Grayson, do you want to get one of your buddies to come hunting? Well, yeah, Dad, but they don't hunt. They don't they don't bow hunt. I said, well, let's start him in your, your crossbow. I mean, I started him on a crossbow, and now he's in a vertical bow. And uh, we've taken a couple of his friends, and and they're and they've actually shot those, and they just can't believe it, and they're so excited and want to, uh, you know, want to do more, and they want to shoot with Grayson now at the house, and and they just want to do a lot of things. So uh, it's just it's just getting them to that point and getting them getting them to actually go hunting, especially when they're their family or their parents don't, don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Our youth program is something that, you know, a lot of people have heard about and a lot of people, um, know what it is, but we're really, we're really trying to revamp that. We're really trying to, to take that to the next level. You know, at the 2025 convention, uh, any active youth member, uh, we're going to draw a bear hunt in Alaska for, for youth and parent. Um, and so that's, you know, that's worth the price of admission. A youth membership is 10 bucks. Like dude, all three of my kids are signed up, not cause they're big, bad bow hunters. Uh, but because that means I have three chances to go to Alaska and kill bears. 
Um, so, you know, and, you know, I do think that it's important to an extent, not to an extent. I think it's very important, um, that youth understand that it's not lost upon the youth that like, Hey, if you want to do this, you have to do something to protect your right. Like it's never, nobody's just going to hand this to you. You need to be a part of the organizations that, that are working to continue to give you this right. And I, you know, Tim just called me just a minute ago. Oh yeah, Tim, I forgot to tell you. I said, bub, I got to go inside. We were out shooting my bow, my son's bow right before this. He's five. And I said, I got to go inside, bub. And he said, why? I said, Tim said, I got to go work. And he said, you're bigger than him. Tell him no. <laughs> I said, well, he is kind of gimpy right now. I guess I could take him down if I needed to, but, um, no. And so, but I, I want my son to understand like, Hey, if you want to do this, man, then you have to do something to protect that. Right. It's never going to be handed to you. In fact, they're going to actively try to take it from you. Um, and so we're really making strides to, to improve that youth program and, and get more kids involved. So man, kudos to you for, for taking that, that opportunity to, to see your kids, friends get involved in hunting. That's awesome. Yeah. I took one of his buddies and he had two other brothers and then <laughs> two weeks later they wanted to go. So I got all of them and put them all. We, there was four of us in a ground blind. Now it was a little tight. I'm not going to lie, but we were <laughs> shooting a crossbow. So we had it set up. So it was pretty easy, but, uh, <laughs> So now uh, they just they can't wait to go uh, or have us invite them again. And they they did the hunter safety course and uh, stuff that they normally would never do. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Very cool. So what do you think about the whole panel process? Like, I like to ask people that because that can be kind of nerve wracking. You know, I mean, I've never been there. Obviously, they don't accept four keys yet. But uh, when they do, maybe they'll maybe I'll get a panel. But uh what did you think of that process? It was. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, I don't normally have stuff scored like that. So yes, it made it maybe even more nerve wracking. Uh, uh, just sitting there waiting, and you know, see, and it's not just one person like we did originally. They had all those people around there, and it was, you know, just kind of a wait and see. And yes, I, I was a little nervous. Um, but and another thing that kind of gets you. When I when I, when I first had some of these animals scored, um, as a hunter, when you when you you kill an animal uh, and you're really excited about it and you, you get this great score and then all of a sudden you see all these deductions, that is a little deflating sometimes uh, to hunters. I understand the the point of it and how you get to that final score. Um, so that makes it a little nerve wracking too because you're sometimes we typically I just look at you know, what their gross score is. I, I don't really even think in my head, okay, well, what if I was going to score Pope and Young, how ex exactly would it score? Um, yeah. And I know how to score animals, but I don't know how to do the deductions maybe um, like y'all would do or like an official score would do. Right. You know, <clears throat> as you may remember, uh, maybe maybe you didn't catch on to this, um, at our Bowhunter Bash um, events, I'm also putting on a workshop for new measures. These people have applied sometimes years ago and they pay money to come down and travel and buy a hotel room and, and listen to us go on and on for four days on how to correctly measure 29 different species and take two tests and a couple quizzes and the pressure's really on them. But at the end of the, at the end of the course, they walk out official measures and every one of those students that come out of the class most um just because of 
because of the odds, are whitetail, live in whitetail country where there's mostly going to be whitetails measured. And every one of them come out of the class saying that I thought I knew how to measure whitetails and I learned so much that I didn't know. And I think for those that get hung up on, um, well, my but you know, we say this all the time on the podcast and, and in jest, well, my buddy or my outfitter thinks this. There are a few outfitters that really know how to measure, sure. And and um, there are tax services that know how to measure and there are hunters that know how to measure. But there can be circumstances and rules that they don't know about a particular situation with some antlers or skull or horns that because they didn't know it, then it frustrates them. Um, and then they it's like a crutch. People will fall back on, well, I really only care about the gross. And I think Roy, our, our records chairman, really said it best what he said to all the whitetail hunters who know what the world record is. They know the Mel Johnson buck is 204 and change. They know that. That's their that's their benchmark. But they want to compare their gross to it. They you ask them, you go, well, what the Mel what the Mel Johnson buck gross? They don't know. And it doesn't matter because every single animal in the whitetail category that we're talking about for this example are all measured against the same set of standards and rules. And yes, there are going to be deductions, but the point of the measuring system created by Boone and Crockett was for antler game like elk and deer is to reward symmetry and mass. Um, and so how special is it that a Roosevelt bull that, by the way, gross is 329, but it only has five inches of difference, five inch, five and zero eights. If you look at how significant five inches, how little that is in, in an elk score, I mean, if you're talking an average, an average of three to five percent, a three hundred inch bull, I mean, that that's nine to twenty inches. This this bull was well under that, and so so wonderful is the system that rewards that um, as a way to kind of bring this around full circle. Um, this bull is exceptionally symmetrical. Um, it only has one point that almost has two inches of difference. Um, you look at this bull, like Dylan said, and this is what, if you said, I want one Roosevelt bull in my life to look like this, it would look like this. It would look like, like Christmas. And, yeah. and such is true with whitetail. When they see a great one, a great one that they can tell it's very symmetrical, they're excited about it. But when they kill one that isn't, it's the, it's the record's fault. It's the measure's fault. It's, it's the system. And um, at the end of the day, every animal has a number. We will find it. And it is what it is to be even more of a cliche. Um, and every animal in the book has been put against the same set of standards. So hopefully that's not just with the special panel process that you got to um, sort of experience because you're not allowed to really watch us. Um, but you you know what how it went in and how it came out. And the effort and the detailed um, um, hours and, and time that we put into it, that at the end of the day, I hope anyone that has their animals officially measured by an official measure for Pope and Young, Boone and Crockett, or their state local book, let alone a special panel or our panel judging for convention, I hope they respect that, that it's not just a, a few simple measurements and and a, and a little bit of math. There's, there's a lot to it. Now, I've never had a problem with 
I've never had a problem with net gross. Never had a problem with it at all. Because you just want to have the ability to take circumferences more than four on each side. <laughs> I mean, dude, come on now. You're right. I do. Here's my only problem. I had the pleasure of sharing camp with Chuck Adams last week. Oh, wow. Who doesn't make the book is all that really is important to him. And we're seeing pictures of these deer, and I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm going to torch him in a second. And Chuck's like, yeah, but deduction, 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 he doesn't make the book. And I'm like, oh, dude, no no way, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's a 140-inch whitetail, but the deductions drop it. And I'm like, ah, dude, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, I can't, I can't wrap my head around, well, because of its deductions, it's not big enough. You know what I mean? Because it still has X amount of horn on top of its head. Now I get I get why we do it and I know I know the benefit of it. But I just can't in in my mind wrap my head around not shooting something because of deductions. You know what I mean? Not, it's not for everyone. Um you and I both aren't that guy. I see something that is big to me. It's bigger than anything I've ever shot. Oh my gosh, that's sort of my standard. If it's a four-point blacktail, it, I'm doesn't matter what it scores, but then, then you get into a case where you're sort of anticipating that there are going to be a lot of possible encounters with animals that will probably qualify. And you might start looking, you might start passing elk that are broke. You might start passing um, bulls that are five by six. If you believe that this is an opportunity in a hunt where I can do that, not every hunt, offers you that and i think it's kind of special when a person does set themselves up to eat tags to to not fill tags because they have a goal in their mind and they have you know their own ethics and their own set of standards that may fall in line with a record keeping rule system but it's really theirs. It's really theirs. You know, uh, I know so many guys that that will kill a, a mature buck. And at the end of the day, it barely makes a book or it doesn't. It doesn't change the quality of their hunt. But when honoring the animal, put it, putting it against a set of, of rules against, I hate to say it's peers, but against other animals of its species and category, it uh, it is an honor that it, that it qualifies. And uh, yeah. If you want stuff in the book and you have the wherewithal to pass game, I do not. More, more to you, I, I do not either. If it's a if it's a big mature animal, I, uh, we, I was on an elk hunt and uh, <laughs> we saw this elk. It was a beautiful six on one side and the other side. He had a big club that came down, and I mean it was big and it had like one or two things off of it. And I, my eyes lit up and I was like. Let's go after it. He didn't even want to, he didn't even want to fool with that elk. And I'm like, hey, I, I want to go after. He thought I was kidding. He was like, you really want to go? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, that's a really old bull. I said, well, I can tell that, but I, I just, I mean, when when do you get a chance to shoot something like that? So uh Chris, yeah. something you need to know about me, bud. I'm the king of 120s. I'm not <laughs> the king of 125s. I didn't say that. King of 120s. If we put him to tape, Dylan, you're probably the king of 115s, but that's okay. 
Yeah, that's probably true too. Well, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever. Yeah. That right there. 119. I can't break 120 in the blacktail world either. So hey, that's all right. I you know, but hey, I'm the type of dude that I'm showing up to these events and I'm like, man, look at all these cows deer that's bigger than my whitetails. I gotta love that, you know. <laughs> and you that guys all come down to Louisiana, uh, you know, uh they call people down here coonasses for a good reason. Uh they uh they're very um they're very crafty. And when you you know when you hang a ring on something, you say you can measure it. Uh but if it doesn't hang, you know, you can always take the racket, turn it to the side, and it, and it, it will hang. <laughs> so they, everything always ends up a little bit bigger down here. So now I grew up, I grew up in, in Arkansas and I grew up hunting southern Arkansas, you know, so southern that the deer might die and run into Louisiana. So I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Oh, yeah. I know a hundred percent what you're talking about. The first deer I, I killed weighed probably 45 pounds. And uh, I was 12 and still threw it over my shoulder and carried it out. Like, yeah, I, I know what you're talking. We're hunting chocolate labs down there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, it's funny. Cause if you look at my house, you know, people be like, Oh, that's a, that's a nice deer. That's a cool deer. That, that's a not, what the heck? Why'd you even mount that one? And I'm like, well, actually comparatively to where I shot those as to where I shot that. in Southern Arkansas, that's the most impressive deer. You know, it's a, it's Tim's probably right. Probably one fifteen, one seventeen. Um, but still for Southern Arkansas, it's like, dude, for where I was hunting, that deer is bigger than the rest of these deer, you know? I mean, comparatively for the, the size of deer that I was chasing. And so it's all, you know, it's all about knowing your trophy, man, knowing, knowing the class of deer you have to hunt. I tell people quit trying to kill one forties. If there's no one forties on your property. I mean, that's just, you know, and it's another testament to those that want to challenge themselves, those that want to go after velvet or non-typical categories or, or hey, I kill a ton of giant whitetail in Iowa or Kansas or, you know, wherever. If you want a new challenge, go try to kill a record book buck in, in Florida. We just got, a, I think, a 138 buck out of Florida, and I'm just flabbergasted wow. how big that is. Yeah. Wow. And uh, my good friend here in, in uh, Oregon, Blair, he killed a really nice whitetail in Eastern Oregon. Why he was on an elk hunt, spotted this buck, obviously had a deer tag. And when it was all said and done, it come out at 138 and something. It's number 10 in Oregon <laughs> and wow. number 10 in number five in Oregon in Pope and Young. So obviously, you know, there's some animals that are in some books that aren't in others, but um, big whitetail aren't always 200 inches in, in every location. And, and right. we know that true, that's true with mule deer. And uh, even even Sitka, Blacktail, different islands definitely have more what we would call quality or size than others. Um, it happens with black bear skulls and moose. So, yeah, you know, keep 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 it in perspective. But if you still want to pass bucks, more power to you, because I know in Wisconsin, they love to say. Um, let it grow, let it, you know pass it and let it grow let it or, die that's my or that's something my. like that and the wisconsin's known for having some big bucks and a lot of them and, and good for them for those that can do that there's a never mind i won't get into it <laughs> there, there's a there, there's a little kids movie and um they're basically trying to plant a tree and one of the guys is singing let it die and the everybody else singing let it grow that's me i'm the one singing well let's just kill it now we might as well we might as well kill her now i mean hey 
Um, so one question that I ask everybody, Tim has his own question. One question I ask everybody is when you're out killing new world records or when you're out chasing Neil guy, whatever you're out chasing, what's one non-traditional hunting item that you always have with you? Not your knife, not your binoculars, but what's one non-traditional hunting item that you never go in the field without? Non-traditional hunting item. That awesome Pope and Young hat should be your answer. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I really like this Pope and Young hat. <laughs> um, Jolly Ranchers. Jolly Ranchers. Heard that one before. That's a new one. So I, I was with this guy, and we were hiking in Montana on a hunt, and. <laughs> You know, I'm below sea level up here. So whenever we go up anywhere up north and you're above sea level, it's really it's really hard for us to get our breath. And, uh, you know, your mouth dries out a lot. He had this he always in his pocket. He keep these candies in his pocket and he give me he said here. Um, and as you as you, you know, eat those candies while you're walking around, your mouth, your mouth doesn't get as dry. And you don't think about having to drink water and get cotton mouth as, as bad as you did. And, and so. Uh, now when I go on hunts, I just even if even if I'm just whitetail hunting here, I just keep them in my I, I, I made it a habit to keep them in my pocket. Um, and that's probably one of the most non-traditional things I guess I take hunting. You heard it here first, folks. Carry Jolly Ranchers and wear a Pope and Young QU hat, and you're guaranteed to kill new world records. Absolutely, that is a guarantee. No, I can't guarantee that. We'll get people. We'll get people fired up. The blue ones are the best though. So if you got to carry just one color. Pack your pocket full of them blue Jolly Ranchers, and you'll be good. What flavor are the blue ones? I always had raspberry, green apple. Like a raspberry, something. Oh, yeah. is it? Oh, that'd be good. Right yeah, on. So my good. question to you, Chris, knowing that you've hunted outside of Louisiana a few times, or Louisiana, or however this Oregon person is saying it wrong, um, of all the hunting you've done and all the hunting you've wanted to do, um, if you had one hunt left to do, what would it be? What species would you pursue? It doesn't mean one that you've hunted before. It doesn't mean one you haven't hunted before. Uh, probably like to do a buffalo hunt. Mm. Me too. I really would like to do that. You know, the questions, I kind of ask it different every time. The question should be broken into two. What's a species that you would love to go hunt, maybe that you haven't, and and if you could only hunt one more time, what would you like to go hunt? And usually that's kind of referring to something that you have hunted. And so many people say elk, but I do like that answer because that is another species that with the drawing world, the tag prices, outfitting prices going up, and the limited yeah. locations where Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young accept entries for bison, um, that that's that's a big one to check off your list. That would be fun. Yeah. I, I you know, and Thule elk, I, again, I've never done before. Uh, so I have, Tim had some contacts with uh, those, those guys. So I, I have been looking into that as well, but. So we're going to have another bow hunters bash. I'm told in Texas, we don't have a date. We don't have confirmed location or any of that. Um, but. I'm hoping that uh, you guys had a good time, despite not likely having another world record to bring to us. Um, 
I hope to see you there at the Bow Hunter Bash in Texas next year. Um, I'm going to get on some measures to bug you, or if we come down in anywhere in that neck of the woods, um, we'll swing by and and grab those old papers off your desk and and uh, get some of those whitetails in the book. Uh, I'd love to do it. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I, we'll, we'll go to the events. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking about it. You know, we everybody buys lottery tickets, myself included, and, and you dream about you know winning the lottery and and, and what you're going to do with the money and all. And and uh, shame on me for not always being a part of and being as involved with Pope and Young as I as I should have been because at least when you when you invest in Pope and Young, um, uh, it's going to the to everything that you guys do that 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 I'm passionate about in bow hunting and archery. And um, at least that money's going to that, and and you have a much better chance. And I'm living proof of that, that of shooting a world record than you do winning that lottery ticket. So uh, I would encourage everybody to to, to join Pope and Young and, and put that investment in that. Uh, you can still buy your lottery ticket just in case, but uh, I would absolutely uh, tell everyone to to put money into an organization such as y'all's that does so much to. Uh, for the passion that we all love of, of bow hunting. You know, well, that's no, something that's sorry, something sorry, to where sorry. You see a guy, you see a guy carrying a four thousand dollar bow, wearing three thousand dollars in camo, going on twenty thousand dollar hunts. And I'm like, but it's forty five bucks a year to continue to protect those rights. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Um, because that four thousand dollar bow and all that camo. That's not going to mean much if your rights get taken from you. Doesn't matter how good your bow is. Doesn't matter how how many arrows you got. Doesn't matter how much camo you got. If the right is taken from you to hunt, forty five dollars is a very small investment in order to continue to protect your passion for bow hunting. So, you know that's the way I look at it, and that's you know. So I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Absolutely, and Chris, I'll I'll just um emphasize again that you are like many people that come to convention or are one of our bow hunter bashes they really have a good time and it really does get them reconnected in in some fashion with supporting and promoting and protecting bow hunting um come to a convention we know we're going to see you in glendale arizona in 2025 it'll be a great time and if anybody else watching or listening wants to get involved in Pope and Young. We'd love to see you in Glendale in 2025 as well. Yeah, and I'm going to bring some people with me so uh, that maybe haven't gotten involved as involved either. So uh, I think they'll have a great time. It'll be a be a fun time in Arizona. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to it. Look forward to hearing about your next world record. Congrats on this one, man. Um, truly a beautiful elk. So from all of us at Pope and Young, congratulations on a very great bull. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Y'all have a fantastic week.